Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revivals, emo violence, even ska. We're here to help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Hello and welcome to episode 174 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, welcome John Marburger from I Hate Myself. I hate myself. We're a three-piece emo band from Gainesville, Florida, and we're only around for a short time from 1997 to 98 and then reunited in 03 and 05. Not the longest career, but to me, a cornerstone and trailblazer for the music we all love that followed. If you have any interest in the history of this genre and I Hate Myself hasn't come into your life yet, I ask you to stick around and hear John's words. We talk about his thoughts on the history of the scene, I Hate Myself, emo, the music John created after that band, and we nerd out about Coheed and Cambria. Thank you to everyone out there that's already pre-ordered the anthology of emo books. We have got the first volume back in print and a second volume of 10 more artists from the podcast in book form. Folks like Jim Atkins, Chris Conley, John Bunch, Leslie Simon, Connor Murphy, etc. Learn more and pre-order at anthologyofemo.com. It'll ship in early September, so thank you for the support. Lastly, in these insane times, helping out the podcast in sight via Patreon has been a huge help. Plus, those that support with any amount get to hang out in our Discord chat all day and nerd out. So please stick around for that. If you're up for supporting, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. This is episode 174 with the legend John Marburger from I Hate Myself. So obviously it's a crazy time, but I think it's amazing because uh, the amount of people that have asked for this interview um, is is crazy over the years. And then for you to randomly email me one day and say that you've been listening to the podcast kind of blew my mind. I listen to a lot of stuff at work a lot of times because I get wrapped up in nerdy computer stuff. And uh, I, I was, I think because Dave was on it. Maybe I heard about it through that. Actually, I think I know about it previously. Dave DM from 12 oh, yeah, Term. Yeah. Um, I think I, I'd known about it previously, and then that, of course, piqued my interest because I, I have to always listen to everything Dave says because we're very old friends, and I like hearing him talk. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, I was just kind of one of those nights where I was 
I have a tendency to watch a bunch of uh, woodworking videos at night and just other random people building things with their hands because I think it's absolutely incredible. Um, and then I was also, you know, listening to podcasts at night and stuff like that while I was kind of doing other things, doing my own woodworking in the garage and stuff. And uh, and generally, I'm not a terribly outgoing person, although I talk a lot. Um, and I was like, I want to tell this person that I like what they're doing. Cause there was a lot of people that I took interest in, you know, obviously the, uh, I think it was Eric from Christie front drive. Um, even, uh, the, the, that most recent, the churches, um, one I was really actually, cause I actually like that music and, uh, I was actually pretty intrigued to hear that story. And so, and obviously Ian and Gee and all, a lot of the people that you've interviewed and I, I took a pretty good interest in. So I was happy that someone was talking to these type of people that, you know, some of whom meant, have meant a lot to me for, you know, over 20, 25 years now, some of whom like Dave were just extremely close friends and still are extremely close friends. So that's awesome. Yeah. I think from having the Epic people like the Gee and the Ian, which took nine years for me to get up the gust to do it and to yeah. have someone like Lauren from churches, that's like a fan of all this music and then want to talk about it, I think yeah. brings in people because this era is not talked about and talking about your band. It, it's not mentioned enough. Uh, I, I think any mention of us is probably too much of a mention. Of Why? <laughs> Why do you say that? Uh, well, that's just the way Jim and I were raised self-deprecation and things like that. Uh, no, Catholic? Uh, it, you guys still Catholic. No, no. Uh, I think, <laughs> I think we were both baptized Episcopalian, but that was 1996 okay. seven, or 76 okay. and 77 respectively. But, um, uh, uh, no, I mean, because we were a band for, we being I Hate Myself, we've been in, I think, five bands at this point in time, the two mm -hmm. of us and usually a different person playing bass. Right. Um, or in the case of the most recent one, Dee Hoffman and Travis playing guitar as well. But um, uh, we were a band for maybe two, maybe two and a half years, active for maybe two years. And we only really ever played in town. We played, I think we went on tour twice, once with a band uh, called Aggress. Um, who reached out to us and we're like, well, wait, we don't have to book any shows. You'll do it for us. Sure. We'll, we'll <laughs> drive around with you for a week and a half over Christmas. And then I think we did a tour maybe with 12 hour turn for a week. Um, I know burn man did a tour with 12 hour turn and true North, which is the band immediately after I hate myself, but I think I hate myself only did. Yeah. Maybe two tours. So we mostly played in town. Uh, I think most of the records came out after we broke up the full length, the 10 songs, full length and four songs came out before, we broke up four songs essentially came out before we were actually even a band. And then, uh, the split 12 hour turn and, uh, came out, you know, after we broke up and stuff. So when we were a band, I mean, no one came to see us play. There are people in town would watch us play. Um, but we played rarely too. So it was just one of the, so it always shocks me and has continued to shock me that first of all, people have any recollection that we actually existed. And second of all, the people actually liked it outside of the, the three of us. Well, the two of us. Right. I don't know how, I don't know what Steve likes it or not. You know, we don't talk as much anymore, the bass player, but um, right. he's a fantastic guy. So, and then you guys started in Gainesville mm -hmm. and yeah. mostly played around Gainesville, right? Yeah. We played a couple shows in Tampa. A friend of ours, Steve from ASIC, had a record store called 403 Chaos. And um, I think it was in St. Pete. I'm not sure if it was in St. Pete or Tampa. I forget. Um, and, uh, we'd play there occasionally. Um, but mostly, you know, I think we'd go to Atlanta maybe once or twice. And there was a place called the I defy house up there. Um, that I believe this guy Gavin book shows at, but mostly we played in Gainesville, but we didn't play that much either. Um, you know, we were, we were, we've always been notoriously lazy about playing shows and booking shows. So was it more yeah, we were to play 
together? Were you doing, were you still practicing a lot or even were you lazy about that? Yeah, no, we were practicing. I think, you know, Jim and I, we were in a band before, before I hate myself, um, a little sort of three chord pop punk band, uh, that completely aped, um, the bands that we really admired at the time, which were spoken right on. Um, and we played out, I think fairly frequently. Um, and then, uh, then we started doing, I hate myself stuff kind of concurrently. Um, we just, added a different bass player kind of. Um, and, uh, we practiced a lot as far as I recall. I don't, but we didn't really play all that many shows as far as I know. Um, it's hard to remember. I mean, what pardon? What, what else were you doing at, at at the time? Were you at a part-time job? Were you in school? No, I was in, yeah, I was in, we started in 96. So I was, I guess, a sophomore in college getting a degree in an unused degree in physics. And, uh, Jim was, you know, Jim was a fresh, he's a year younger than I am. So he was a freshman in college, I think. Um, and he, you know, we were in college at the same time. So when we toured, we toured, um, during winter break. So mm-hmm. generally we toured in, in December. Um, I think we may have done a couple shows in the summer. There was, I just saw a picture, uh, Jack Bailey from army of Ponch and a couple, a bunch of other awesome bands from Gainesville over the last 20 years. Um, it posted a picture of this Wilkes-Barre festival, I think it was in like 97. Yeah, I, um, I posted that. Did you know the guy that booked it commented on it like an hour ago? Oh, no kidding. Really? I, what was this? I think we oh, stayed wait. with him. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, we were we were really lucky. I mean, Jim and I especially, you know, from the beginning, because we've been in Gainesville for most of the people that come to Gainesville came here for school. You know, mm-hmm. we're right, like the hot water guys were, you know, grew up in Bradenton, Sarasota area. Um, a lot of people came to Gainesville. Jim and I moved here from Virginia in, in I think, 86, 80, yeah, probably 1986, 1987. And so we went to high school here and, you know, through Jim and friends and us meeting people um, and starting to go to the hardback when we were, you know, juniors or sophomores in high school um, and meeting people there, you know, we started to learn about other things because we obviously I'm the older sibling and I knew less about music than Jim did. Right. Um, and so we would, our, our friend Aaron, who was the original bass player for Jim and I's first, first real sort of punk type band. Um, he worked at a, a dairy aisle essentially is what it's called. It's like kind of like a, a ice cream shop that sold hamburgers and cheesesteaks and stuff. Um, and he worked with these two guys, Kevin and Rob, who I think Kevin made Jim and I a mixtape in, had to have been 93 that had like Bastro on it, uh, and the Pixies and Ark Welder and Fugazi and, um, Ed Hall, all these really random odd bands. I think the Pixies probably as well. Um, and so we knew about the slightly more popular bands on, you know, labels like touch and go and things like that. Um, and then when our friends, you know, people like hot water and Palaka started touring a lot, they would meet people everywhere. You know, they did all the work The tower for now and in hot water and black did all the work and they sort of would bring back these bands. Like the first time I heard a cruise, front drive was somebody from hot water, whether it was George or Jason came back to town from a tour and it was like, we just saw that we played some shows with this band called Christie front drive and they are absolutely incredible. Um, and so we heard about that and then, wow. you know, obviously having our friend Pat worked at a record store, owned a record store and he would be the one that would tell us about all this music. And it, yeah, it was for such a small town you know, we were educated pretty, pretty expansively about all these different types of bands, whether it be like, you know, Moss Icon or what was going on in San Diego, like heroin and all the gravity records and three, one G bands and stuff like that. So what was exciting was, about it? What did you like about Christy front drive? And what did you like when you heard like Moss Icon and, and those types of things? So my side or just anything I, coming at you. It was different. Like I like, you know, I've never been a fan and I don't want to get myself in trouble. I've never been a fan of like the really kind of straight ahead, 
you know, metronomic sing-along type stuff that came out in the early to mid nineties to late nineties. Um, I always liked the weirder stuff, you know, I was always gravitated towards like, um, bands like link, you know, um, I think they were on K, uh, mm -hmm. these are not fall colors was a record by theirs. It's absolutely phenomenal. And then, uh, like Antioch arrow and the weirder sort of San Diego, sort of noisy, screamy, crazy bands. Uh, my side kind of, again, like Julia and current, um, current had this seven inch called current as floor four. It was either a single seven inch or two seven inches. And that was, that was phenomenal. And then Matt Weeks went on to be in a band called, I think, Ottawa. Um, and I liked the weirder stuff. And I think Jim kind of, we are aligned along the same things. You know, I grew up listening to strange bands like that have now oddly become commercial like Primus. And, and then Jim and I got really into Radon and Spoke, you know, here in Gainesville. And then we discovered like Mission of Burma and Tar and and all these other bands that did things differently. And then that led to Wire and Gang of Four. And you go back farther and farther in time and um, so yeah, that was, that's what excited me. It was like, these people are doing every single band sounded completely different. You know, I liked, I don't like bands that like, I love arc welder. Like arc welder will be one of my favorite bands till the day I die. I can't stand any band that sounds like arc welder. Although I, there's very few that actually can sound like arc welder because right. they have this amazing doubled vocals, harmony, just amazing songwriting ability. Um, so yeah, I, I liked the weird stuff, you know, Palatka that was a band in town and they kind of got me specifically interested in the idea of just really fast chaotic this is not at all there's nothing at all even remotely pretending to be commercial about this it's just really really odd really interesting really politically motivated socially motivated music um and so that was like seeing that happen you know playing us playing our weird three and a half to seven minute slow songs and then placa playing a 15 second song and literally an eight to ten minute set it was just amazing. Like that's what I got really excited about. Like those type of bands as some big band would come through. And I, I like looking back, we played with, you know, cave in and piebald and stuff. And I have no recollection whatsoever of those shows, really? but I remember every show. Yeah. I have every, remember every single show, not that those bands were bad, right. but it just didn't, it didn't do anything for me. But every single show we played with 12 hour turn, especially, I mean, I remember the first time I saw them and how blown away I was with them. This they're phenomenal. Did you know that other people were, similar in not saying similar sound but the same sort of vibe as i hate myself like were you meeting other people or other people saying like i know you're only around for a little bit but i think were you finding that there were other people that were similar? Uh, so grade was the closest i think and i don't i think and such as progress um mm -hmm. was that the only record i know that i've heard i think i heard some of the later stuff but um that's the only one i'm sort of pseudo familiar with i know Kyle had come to town. I'm not sure if they played a show or he, he was a singer in grade had come to town and was, I lived with VAR from no idea at the time and my brother and our friend Jason and a couple other folks. And, um, I was aware of grade and, but the, you know, the sort of screamier type stuff was bands like current and like Julia. Um, and then you had sleepy time trio and, and those type of the, you Hell know, those yes. type of bands. So it was that kind of screaminess. Um, you know, I think we kind of took, the, the thing that I think kind of, and I may be completely, um, over, uh, overselling it. Um, I think the thing that, that sort of set us apart was, um, there were a lot of bands that, that did screaming and I was aware of a few of them. Um, we had a lot more space, I guess, you know, Jim and I listened to low Jim mm -hmm. and notoriously it was, it's really frustrating because when we were driving, you know, late at night, Jim, you know, most people put on something crazy or something to really, you know, get them amped up and, and excited. And Jim would put on low, the curtain hits the cast or secret name or something, which is the most beautiful, you know, 
languid, amazing, and sometimes chaotic music, but still very, <laughs> very slow. Um, and I mean, that tempered a lot of his writing too. I think, you know, a lot, we listened to that weirder stuff. So I think we had more of a, an, an oddity to us, um, you know, than, than a lot of people that are doing the screamy thing, but there's, yeah, great. I think was the closest. And then Moonraker, who was a band here in yes. town and, you know, Travis went on to play with Gemini and De Hoffnung, you know, and, um, we really appreciated what they were doing. Cause they, again, they had a little bit more, they were sort of a raw mathy type sound. Um, and Travis had this really fantastic sort of screamy sort of wailing voice. Um, and so, uh, but, uh, but a lot of the stuff we paid attention to was, was stuff that was introduced to us by other folks or that was just local, right. you know, Kurt, Berger, Kurt Berger from Palakis still has one of my favorite screaming voices of all time. It's just, he's just got that, that sound. So what's funny about the, the, that you describing it is I just, I only thought of it as math rock. Like when I saw sleepy time, I'm like, Oh, this is math rock. And then years later, someone said the word like screamo. And yeah, no, I mean, I didn't hear that word until when did I you think, hear that word? I don't know. Uh, I honestly had to have been after, after we broke up definitely. And so it had to have been after 98 and I can't, it's when the bands that started to like get more commercial success right. And I unfortunately know most of their names. Um, you know, I won't, I won't call anybody out not to be unfortunate, but it wasn't my thing. You know, again, the, when it turned into like pseudo metal, that's when it really started to irritate me. And it, you know, the part of me was like, thank God no one knew us. Cause then we can't be to blame for this. <laughs> you know, that was kind of how I saw things. Um, uh, you know, but there was, there was definitely this idea of, okay, let's take like matchbox 20 and add some screamy to it and, and throw in a little bit of like disturbed or something like that, which I, I just aggravates me to no end. Cause all of those things, I'm sure they're wonderful people, but all of those bands are just atrocious. Um, I have, I have met Rob Thomas. He is really nice and he knows. I who met Fugazi the guitar player is. for matchbox 20. Which one? I, oh, really? Uh, the, the, I don't know. The short one. Is he short? No, he's a little bit, uh, he, I think his name was Jason or something. Okay. I don't know. He, uh, he, um, the, the, I was in a band with the one band I've been in really that actually put out records that was not, uh, uh, I worked in a band with the people that worked at no idea with me at the time called stress face, but I was in another band playing drums called gun mall. Um, and the guitar player I believe knew because they're from Orlando and he's from Orlando. And I think ah. he came to one of the shows genuinely nice fellows i mean i again I i'm know, sure they're all extremely nice people <laughs> but yeah music, God, yes. terrible, terrible yes. music and yes. I, hate to, I, I i shit talk people constantly i apologize to all those people but i can't help myself welcome to the Just, podcast um yeah welcome to my twitter feed no i think from the that you describing it like that like hearing those things or, or wondering what that was uh, back before you heard it it was math rock or it was you know it was i mean emo I think that I put it, I never had another qualifier. Did you, when did you hear that word? I, yeah, that, I mean, that was definitely people calling us that, you know, I hate myself was born out of, and I, I Jim, my brother um, who sang and played guitar and wrote, you know, most of the songs, Steve wrote a, a few of the, few of the really, really uh, amazing songs as well. Um, I wrote none of them cause I have no talent for writing whatsoever. Um, but it was, we were, Jim and I were playing in this kind of three chord pop punk type band that, you know, we had put out a seven inch on no idea. We did a split seven inch with less than Jake and we were doing kind of this sort of straight ahead, you know, mid, mid to fast tempo pop punk stuff. Yeah. And, uh, Jim had written a slower song and we played it in our previous band called Pong. Um, and it just didn't fit. And so Jim had written a few more songs and, he asked me to play bass and drums and we were going to record them. And so we just recorded these four songs. 
um, where I just played bass and drums. We recorded him with Steve from ASUC. He, he did the recording at this weird little barn in Clearwater that I think Hot Water recorded um, Forever and Counting in. And, um, and uh, I, I didn't know what it was. You know, he played me the guitar. I didn't know what the song sounded like until we actually recorded. You know, I knew the guitar parts and I knew what I was playing along with. But I didn't know – I had no idea what the vocals were at all until he put the vocals down. And Steve and I both looked at each other and were like, what the hell is this? Like this is insane because uh, Jim's just got this really, really unique screaming voice. Uh, and then he doubled it up a little bit and it just sounded even weird and ethereal but yet evil at the same time. Um, and so it didn't sound like anything I was listening to at the time. And I honestly didn't know really where those first four songs came from. Um, and then you know, the, then we decided to be a band and the name came out. And then that's when – I think that's around the time someone said, oh, it's kind of like emo-ish. You know, I had been familiar, obviously, with Rites of Spring and Embrace and, and things like that. Um, but the word wasn't really thrown around a lot. And right. um, I think it was either used to refer to us or maybe to refer to Moonraker or I think actually Pat Hughes. I'm sorry. No, Pat Hughes, who ran Shaft Records. I was asking about bands and he said, oh, you like that emo shit. Here's Arc Welder. I think he actually referred to Arc Welder as emo. Um, so uh, buy this arc bar pull by Arc Welder. It's a great record. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's so probably would have been 96, 97. Yeah. Uh, but see, he said, you like that emo shit. Or... Oh yeah. No, it was not. A, it was a derogatory term always, you know, it was because again, we, we, there's a joke and I mean, no bands in Gainesville sound alike. That's why Gainesville was fantastic. You know, you had bands like the Lexingtons or grab ass Charleston's and yes. you had bands like Moonraker and you had bands like hot water music bands like less than Jake, um, Palatka, you know, there was a band called uh, poison pill culture. Like there was a, everyone sounded different, you know? And then, you know, Chris from hot water, he did um, a thing called Blacktop cadence. And I think George plays drums as well on that. I'm not sure no one sounded the same. Right. And so it was kind of, everything was derogatory because no one had labels. I mean, we started introducing labels jokingly. Like I think somebody, the guys in Palaka were all extremely intelligent and still are, but just severe smart asses. And they started referring to like what they did or jokingly is like Southeast emo violence. You know, just because everyone was putting labels on everything, you know, when, when, when independent DIY, you know, if you can call it punk, if you want music really started to become really, really prevalent, especially in Gainesville in the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties, like, you know, it was just music. It was just local bands. And then when it became more and more prevalent and then more and more publications started to focus, then labels started to came, come into play. Whereas previously we never really, no one really thought about labels again, you know, we would play shows with bands that sounded nothing like us. You know, Pung, which was, again, sort of a traditional three-chord pop-punk band, went on tour with Palaka, which plays really super chaotic, fast songs and does eight-minute sets. Like, it makes no sense, but it made a a complete sense to us because we were friends, you know, and friends played music and played shows together because that's how you hung out with your friends. So you're going to be at the hardback anyway. Might as well play a show together. Yeah, I, I, I that's mentioned so many times about that era that you'd have a punk band, a hardcore band, uh, emo yeah. band, a, a straight edge hardcore band on the same bill. And, you know, you might be outside for one of them. I'd probably go outside if it was Brothers Keeper, but I'll come back in. Yeah. You know, you yeah. know, so um, talk about no idea and g- give give some people a sense of what how important that label was to that area. Uh, it was I mean, for for Jim and I, especially it, it was it was it was not just important. It was it was pivotal. I mean, wow. um, we we. I think Jim had met Jim and Aaron, the bass player from our band before I hit myself, um, had met VAR because VAR was um, working at Pat's record store, Shaft. Um, and 
and they they struck up a friendship, Jim and Aaron Varr. And, um, and when we went to Jim and Aaron and I had this little band called Pong, when we went to put out, we wanted to put out a seven inch because, you know, we admired what Radon and Listen Jake and Spoke had done in putting out records. And we knew that Varr had helped facilitate that. Um, so, you know, we asked him to help us go through the process of putting out our first seven inch. Um, so, you know, we had a friend of ours take a picture of this, this guy, Dan Arkey, who was the door guy at the hardback is a great guy. He was one of the only people that ever watched us play, you know, these teenage kids playing at the hardback. No one was there, but Dan Arkey would watch us play and be like, that was awesome. You guys just keep at it kind of thing. Um, and, uh, he knowing that he said, keep at it because he knew we were terrible. And he said, keep it. I think keep at it. was like, that don't worry. You'll get better. Um, not, there's never any more people going to be there, but he knew we'd get better at our instruments at least if we kept at it. Um, but, uh, so Var helped us get it pressed and get the covers done, you know, and, um, and that, and then I ended up moving in with Var, you know, my sophomore year of college, uh, when no idea was still at our house. Uh, and then Jim eventually moved in when no idea moved to a, its own space. Um, but you know, he did everything for us pretty much as far as bands go. Um, I hate myself that first four songs EP, Jim and I originally just pressed it ourselves because we recorded those songs. Um, it, we weren't a band. We were just going to put it out just to put it out. Um, and Var, Jason, I believe who was, did a, still does a label called Belladonna who put out Gemini's last band's record. Um, he kind of helped us with the covers and Var helped us get the vinyl pressed and then Var repressed it on no idea. And then everything we'd done up until this last record was on no idea. You know, every band I'd been in was on no idea. And then I worked at no idea. I left graduate school in 2000 after two years of of being an unsuccessful, unintelligent physicist, <laughs> attempted physicist, I guess, in graduate school. Um, and uh, I worked in No Idea from 2000 to 2005, you know, so I, and worked with Matt, uh, you know, from Strikeforce Diablo, who's probably one of the best bands ever to come out of Gainesville. Uh, that last Albatross, uh, Albatross and Architect record is absolutely fantastic. Um, worked with Matt. I worked with Ryan um, from, you know, True North and Palaka. Um, he's also been called Waltz and then Dave, uh, who was in grab Charleston's and the Lexington's who I'd known forever. And then, so, you know, a lot of friends worked there. So no idea was kind of like the community. I wouldn't say the community was based around it, but it really, really helped facilitate the community, especially in the early to late nineties. Um, so, you know, VAR still means a lot to me, I, I, although it's not around really anymore. Um, he helped Jim and I do a lot, helped us realize some, uh, I wouldn't say dreams because, you know, it's, I don't know. It was never a dream of ours to be popular or great or lauded, although we're not none of those. <laughs> I wouldn't characterize us as popular, great or lauded. Um, so but he it was also a goal. It was just we just wanted to have a record of stuff we'd we'd done. And he made that happen. So I'm, you know, I'm forever indebted in t- to him to helping make that happen. And he wasn't the only one. That, I mean, there was other labels in town. Sean had Toybox. Like I said, Jason had Belladonna. But but VAR was always very, very supportive uh, of not just us, but everybody. I mean, we were kids. He's, you know, I, we played our first show at the Hardback when I was 18. I think Jim was 17 and VAR, you know, we met VAR and he was coming to shows and stuff. And it was, it was awesome. I mean, no idea. Met great friends through no idea, like Small Brown Bike and those type of guys. So you need those tent poles in a community and Gainesville's on the map. I mean, yeah, no, no I mean, VAR knew everybody. I, yeah. I, Ian called our house when we lived together. I was like, Holy shit, Ian Mackay is on my answering machine right now. Again, there's I, I don't believe in the idea of idols or heroes, but as far as people that you no, should absolutely admire is. the way they do things, yeah, he absolutely is one of those type of people. But yeah, no, I mean, Var, you know, knew, had interviewed, he had had that zine forever, you know, he interviewed Naked Ray Gun. He'd interviewed all these bands, and, you know, you know our, our knowledge of music and my knowledge of music grew even more 
um, after knowing VAR and living with VAR and things like that, you know, so, but yeah, it was, it's, it's, it was a crazy time. There was a lot of, there was a lot of bands. I mean, some of us were in like three or four joke bands simultaneously. And it was just a, the, you know, 95 to, to 98 were really, really fun times in Gainesville. I mean, there was lots of just random stupid bands happening. Um, there was like shows every night. How you'd go to the hardback, the hardback shows didn't start till 11. You'd get out at like one or two and then, um, you'd go to a, a house show until four in the morning. Wow. Like it was just, it was insane. And that was multiple nights a week and it was fantastic. I mean, nothing, there was no fights. There was no conflict. There was different types of bands. Bands would come out of town and play Gainesville. I mean, everyone used to play Gainesville back when the hardback and the cover dish were around. I mean, they did when Matt and um, Drew ran the hardback and even when Alan ran it previously, just everyone would want to play there because they were treated so well. And just like when Bill ran the cover dish, everyone came through town. I mean, there was bands to see on a regular basis. It was fantastic. I looked at some of those flyers sometimes and you look and it's not like, oh, there's a show Friday and then there's one next Saturday. It was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe a Sunday one you're going to skip. But then it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's crazy. And yeah, it I, was insane. And yeah. I was going to school in North Carolina at that time, 96 to 2000. And I, I think there was a time where it might have been four to five shows a week that we were going to. And yeah, it wasn't no. like a crappy opener and like our local friends. It was a touring band. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> I was my my biggest regret in life, and I, I know I keep coming back, but I think Ark Welder is still probably one of the greatest bands of all time. Ark Welder and Tar played a show at the Covered Dish. They were touring together, um, and uh, and I missed the show. I think because I either had I think I had a quantum mechanics exam or something that clearly now was a Pointless. mistake. Yeah, exactly. Um, I should have gone to the show and said, Jim brought me an arc welder sticker. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that's one of my biggest regrets is missing that show. I still have yet to see tar play a show. I saw arc welder when touch and go did the 25th anniversary. Uh, it was fantastic. It made me very happy. Now people have talked or asked me, they were like, you need to ask this question. Was the band a joke or was it sincere or was it a combination of both? That's, that's what always gets me. You know, it, I mean, we weren't mocking anybody. There, I mean, we had, we weren't like, what was, there's that one band scatterbrain that, you know, just did, you know, one-off covers. I mean, it was, it was legitimate. We had legitimate interest in the music, you know, and Jim didn't write lyrics kind of like tongue in cheek. He wrote lyrics from a narrative perspective, which I, I mean, it, writing wholly personal lyrics and presenting them publicly is, is insanely dangerous. So and there's very few people that do that and do right. it well. So most everyone writes from a narrative perspective. Um, I think, you know, some of the original, some of the earlier lyrics are somewhat, I mean, Jim will call them straight up childish, probably. I think they're pretty damn brilliant. Um, I think Jim is probably my favorite lyricist of all time, even above, you know, Nick Cave and some people that I just admire obscenely high. I think my brother is is completely unappreciated from, I mean, underappreciated from the level of lyrical talent he has. Um, but he told stories a lot and they were interesting stories. Yeah. Caught in a flood with the captain, of the cheerleading squad is ridiculous. But it's also if you listen to it. It's a really beautifully written song lyrically. I mean, how's your bell curve? Mine's right skewed average low. I mean, that 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 phrase is just is perfect. It, it says everything you need to know from the first, what, 10 words of the song. And so but because it has these sort of childish themes, you know, a song called, like Urban Barbie or mm-hmm. um, this isn't the Tenkechi Budokai, which is based off of, you know, something that the people in Dragon Ball Z say and that kind of stuff. 
you know, the themes were the thematically it was ridiculous at times, but, I, but we were an absolutely genuine band. I mean, we didn't roll around the floor crying. Jim was never caught in a flood with a captain of the cheerleading squad. I mean, it wasn't realistic at all, but, um, but there was no joke involved. I mean, we weren't, we weren't doing it with tongue in cheek at all ever. As far as if Jim was, he never let me in on the secret. Um, he, you know, and I'll call him again and ask him one more time, but you know, I don't think it's ever, I don't think it was, it was not a, we were not a joke band. We were not making fun of, of, of emotional exposition in music and, and, and those type of bands at all. We weren't, we didn't, I don't think we had enough context to mock those type of bands. We didn't listen to those type of bands enough, honestly, to be able to, to honestly waste our time trying to emulate them. Right. So can you, uh, this is the, this is the cheesy question, but I think it does. It was asked a few times when I was soliciting some stuff and I thought it was worth the writing process. Um, yeah. because your brothers, because you're playing drums, he's doing the same, like how, be, because of the timing of your band and this sound and people referencing, and I think it's worth mentioning, like, what was that writing process for you guys for like a song, like, you know, cotton and flood. Um, I think so that one specifically, that was just Jim and I, because, um, Jim had come with, uh, the first four songs, he literally came with the entire song pretty much. He had all the parts. I'm sure he had the lyrics and the vocals in his head and showed it to me. And I wrote bass parts and drum parts along to it. And then the first few songs on 10 songs, we had tried to be a band with me playing bass and our friend Jason playing drums and Ryan from Palaka playing second guitar. Um, it just didn't work out. And, um, so we, um, but we had started writing for 10 songs. So I had, uh, it makes it sound like it was, a, you know, an intentional endeavor. We'd started sitting down and writing for our next album cycle. Um, no, <laughs> the I mean, label like, was got, on our ass. <laughs> the way, it, the way it works with Jim is he's like, I've got another song. Do you want to hear it? I mean, that's the writing process, right? Jim's like, I've got an idea. Do you want to hear it? Um, and so he would come and with this song and I would put a part to it. And then later on, you know, when we got our friend Steve to start playing bass, who was an old high school friend of mine, who was insanely talented guitar player. Steve and I used to play, um, Metallica covers like from early Metallica, not, not shitty skillet pants, snare drum sounding Metallica. Um, and, uh, and I was a horrible drummer and still am. And, and, but Steve was a phenomenal guitar player. Um, and we needed a bass player and I mentioned Steve and he reluctantly agreed to say yes. And I think that's the last word he ever spoke to us for the next two years. Uh, but, but he, Steve was a fantastic bass player and had a really, really interesting ear for, um, for, uh, harmony, I guess is the way to, it was, it was a harmony, a, a tonality kind of spoke to him in a weird way. Um, and so a lot of the times Jim would come and I would sort of write a part and sometimes Jim would sort of, uh, and still to this day, you know, would sort of rhythmically tap it out on his guitar to say, no, I'm kind of, I kind of hear something like this. Um, so he has a lot of these ideas in his head and Steve, I think fit in, I don't remember him ever really, um, tempering Steve's output at all and saying, no, do it this way. I think Steve just was perfect. I mean, I never, I don't remember ever hearing anything Steve came up with and thinking like, ah, I think you should do it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, but me, I, because of my mediocrity, as far as a drummer goes, I needed coaching. So, um, so Jim would come in and say, do it like this. But yeah, a lot of it just came from Jim and we didn't hear the lyrics and the vocals unless we played a show. And even then we could barely hear them because we didn't have monitors or anything in the places we were playing. So we didn't know what the songs actually sounded like until we recorded. Generally. Wow. You know, I, and Jim would have like second guitar parts in his head that we'd never heard and would record and, and all that kind of good stuff. So, you know, a lot, Jim is just one of these and he hates, I'm sure if he listens to this, which he may or may not, he will hate the fact that I just refer to him with such high regard, but he's just, he's one of those insane talents. He's just, just a fantastic writer from a lyrical perspective, from a musical perspective, and hears things all at once. And, you know, we fought 
not ever fist fight. I'm a pacifist. I don't believe in violence. But we have definitely had our like, you know, disagreements mm-hmm. where he would say, I don't like this. I don't like you should do it differently to the extent where he'd like to start taking away drums. Like, no, you're just getting a snare, a hi-hat and a kick drum because that's all you need. Um, and it wouldn't make sense. And I get angry. And then finally it would make sense. And I'm like, oh, OK, yes, of course. Again, he's right. That asshole. Um, you know, so <laughs> can you but, yeah, talk, no, it's, it, can you talk about the space? Because I think that's an interesting piece of of this sound and this band and something I obsess with and think it needs it's 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 almost like um when when people try to do an instrumental band and they they just say I want to sound like explosions in the sky and I'm like you can't sound like explosions in the sky there's a there, there's a way to do space of of tempo of breakdowns of moments and I think that's the part I love most about emo can you talk about that? Can you mention the idea around having so much space? Yeah, I think it's the dynamic. It's the space and the dynamic. So, you, you know, you can go from quiet to loud or silent to loud. Um, you can also go from sparse to congested back to sparse um, or, you know, and it, it keeps it interesting. You know, a lot of the a lot of the most fun songs for me to play on drums um, were, were songs like Kamikaze, which is nine, I think nine minutes long, maybe. Um, and there's not a lot going on at all, but it's probably one of my favorite songs of all time. And I wish I didn't, hadn't played drums on it cause it sounds really, really arrogant saying something I played on is one of my favorite songs of all time. But, um, you know, it was one of those things where Jim would have to explain it. He was like, no, no, there's no drums here. I just want a snare hit. And it, again, it didn't make sense, but he's got all this all in his head, you know, right. It's not savant like, but he has an idea of how he wants things to sound as soon as they enter his brain. Because I think he's probably spent, you know, hours, if not days thinking about it before he's shown it to anybody. Um, you know, and I, I like that space. You know, Moonraker did it pretty well. Christy Funtrove, I thought, did it really, really well. I'll come back to low. I mean, as far as space goes, that's where it came from. I mean, Secret Name, Curtain Hits the Cast, all those early low records just do so well with dynamics and the fact that, sh- that, that, um, the, 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 the percussive instrumentation is just a floor tom, a snare and a, I believe a ride cymbal and then a guitar and a bass. And it can sound so insanely heavy and loud and overwhelming. And then also just so serene and pride and quitty and then just completely empty. And that just, that, I think that appealed to the both of us considerably. Um, you know, there, there was a number of other bands. I think, you know, again, that band current, I think did space pretty well. Uh, I think Julia, that Julia song in a seven inch, like that song, um, does dynamics really, really well. It starts off really quiet, uh, and then gets kind of screamy and weird. Um, but it, it just, it made sense. Like, I don't think we, we didn't anticipate or we didn't, I, at least I didn't strive to, to add this level of emptiness and dynamics and stuff. That's just the way the songs were written. That's the, the way the songs came out. And it made sense. You know, there's nothing more exciting for a mediocre drummer like me to be able to play a really simple part and then have it get really quiet and then be able to raise my arms in the air and then just come crashing down on two crash cymbals at relatively the right time. Um, you know, that's, <laughs> that's really fun, you know? And that, so, you know, it, it, it always puts a smile on my face to this day when I get to play a drum part that's so simple and I get to have that moment where suddenly you know, you telegraph the loud by raising your hands because that's like, it's the, it's the, the final punch, you know? Right. Uh, I assume. Yes. I, I think that's a boxing metaphor. I don't watch boxing, but can you talk about song two? Because I think that is a, mm-hmm. that, that is a single. Less than nothing. Yeah, no, that's again, that was, uh, it was one of those things where it's just a, it's a simple little riff and Jim came up with it and I wrote the, 
um, the base part for it. Um, I think he actually had a lot to do with some of the, the, a little bit of the parts there. Um, and it was just one of those songs where, you know, it, it didn't sound to me that different from songs one, three, and four song three was the song that we had played in, in Pong, our previous band. I think we played it out live once. Um, and, uh, song two, yeah, it was, and when we, that's, I think that's the song we were probably recorded first, or I heard the vocals for first cause it was the most taxing and he wanted to get it over with. Um, and I remember just sitting in the, the pseudo control room, the place that wasn't where his vocal mic was, where we recorded. Um, and, uh, and he, like Steve heritage and I hearing Jim sing. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is insane. Uh, this is amazing. And, you know, then hearing it afterwards again, I cannot stand that record because I play like a child. I play terribly on it. Jim <laughs> hates it because of his guitar tone and his vocals. Um, but I think it's, I think they're phenomenal songs. Um, but yeah, it's a weird song and it, it's, it's jokey. I mean, the 60 Watts brighter than your future and empty 40 fuller than my life. It's, I mean, again, it's, it sounds like something a, a high school kid would write in his journal, you know, about a girl he loved, which is not completely detached from where we were at that point in time. I mean, right. Jim was, I think, yeah, probably 19 years old, 18, 19 years old. So Yeah. But no, it's, and it was weird because so we did that. We put the record out and VAR put out this blind spot comp because before there was no idea of distribution, he and Sean um, from Toy Box Records had started blind spot distribution. They were going to distro stuff as well as do the no idea record label. Uh, so we wanted to put out a comp of all of these bands that who were on other labels that were being sold through no idea or through blind spot distribution. And I don't know why he asked us if we wanted to be on it. I think maybe just to help us out. Um, and so we put that on there and then, yes, that's how people heard us. You know, no one would have heard anything about us or of us unless they were from Gainesville or happened to be one of the five people that we played in front of at right. Tremont music hall in Charlotte, North Carolina or something. But I've been there. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird song. Um, <laughs> the, the, I mean, the first time I heard the chorus with the doubled vocals, I was just like, how do you, I had no idea Jim's voice could do that. Um, it was weird. Uh, and it's gorgeous. I remember a friend. Say, I think a friend of ours, Sam, she, we were at that Wilkesbury festival and she's like, John, I got to tell you something. Your brother could scream at me 24 hours a day and it would make me so happy <laughs> just because of his voice. I was like, I know it's got, he's got that one of those, like one of the prettiest screaming voices I've ever heard, uh, which sounds counterintuitive. Um, so I love that. And I think the other one too, the, and, and, uh, keep reaching for those stars. I love, mm -hmm. I love that. I, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. That's the, um, yeah, that's Quiet the laying singing. in the grass. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I know it. I'm just trying to think of oh. the um. I, did you guys? Hey, hey, everyone it. listening to the podcast, I told a band member about a song he wrote. <laughs> oh, I didn't write. I never. No, I wrote, you know what I mean. Like again, I'm remember, describing a song I wrote, that you... I wrote. Crappy drum. Yeah. No, but I'm trying. I think it's the. I want to be in a motorcycle gang. Right. That's yeah. that one. Green and mean. Yeah, that's you know again one of Jim's little play on words. Gang and gang green or whatever. Blah blah. blah. Yeah. Uh, but no, uh, that was. I don't even, I don't remember how that was written. I think that was just kind of Jim said this and then again, there's going to be a break and then the, um, the, the doe cry that part or whatever. Um, I, again, hearing that, like it was always a really exciting for us to record, although we spent no more than a day or two recording anything we've ever done. We are the most, Jim hates the studio where we hate spending money. So it's the most efficient recording process ever. I think three days was the longest <laughs> we ever spent recording and mixing. Um, and, uh, and I remember hearing that and being like, this is awesome. Um, you know, we're sitting upstairs at Rob McGregor's old studio and where we recorded 10 songs and being like, holy shit, this is pretty phenomenal. Um, my, my favorite song on that record is the, um, uh, there's secret lovers at the heaven's gate ranch. I thought was a brilliant song. And that's more like just very serene and quiet. Um, and kind of a long way down, 
which has got no drums on it whatsoever. And we left the window open because it was so hot and you hear a bird like calling in the background and stuff like that. Those are some of my favorite songs. Those really, really sparse songs that, that Jim and Steve wrote together. So I love uh, sparseness, sparseness in space. You don't need to be playing something every minute, every second. No, God, no. Yeah, no. I mean, there are definitely great bands that play something every minute. I applaud them, but I don't have the, the patience or talent or, or, um, uh, athleticism to be able to maintain a beat for more than a minute and a half tops. I got to take a break. We stopped playing in 98 cause Steve, Steve moved out of town. Um, and, uh, and I think Jim was over it honestly at that point in time. Um, and I, our last show was terrible. It was the CMC and I t- fucked up the drum part for Kamikaze and he was not happy. And I think he was just done with it. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, within a week or two, we had started playing, um, and different, he had gotten faster songs and we started playing in burn man. Um, we, our, our roommate at the time, Darren started playing bass with us. Um, and, uh, we did that for two years, put out one record, which I'm extremely proud of. I kind of almost figured out how to play drums on that one. And then, um, and then, uh, those are some of my favorite lyrics that and the last E Hoffman record, I think are two of my favorite records as far as Jim's lyrics goes was that burn man, um, catalog for an exhibition. I think it's what it's called. Um, and, uh, and then in 2000, Jim stopped playing really. Um, he kind of just was, didn't want to play music with me or with anybody really. Uh, I had started playing in this sort of, in an attempt to do music after I quit grad school to like, Oh, I'm going to try and tour. And, you know, seeing my friends that did it really well, that were working their asses off like hot water. I assumed that I could work maybe one tenth of that and still maybe they'll make a career. Um, terrible choice. Um, but I started playing in this band and, um, about two or three years later, Jim and I started playing together again. He's like, I've got this. We played one show. I think it was 2003. Um, I don't know why we ended up playing that show. I think someone had asked us to play the show. I think they were shutting down a club or something and they asked us and, and Radon to play a show. And Jim reluctantly said yes. And we had our friend Ryan play bass. So Steve hasn't, we haven't really, we, he don't, we don't talk to Steve just because he's, he lives his own life and he's hard to get in touch with. And, um, so we played that show um, and then a couple of years later, I think a year or two later, Jim's like, I've got a couple songs. You want to just record another EP? And that's where three got songs it. was. And so I, so I played bass and drums on that as well. So it was a nice bookending of, of decent bass playing and mediocre drumming at the very first thing we did. And the very last thing we did is I hate myself. So, and then, but for, to, for 2005, what was the, uh, that's a weird time because mm-hmm. I was at a punk label, a hardcore label working what bands that were popular were not, equal vision, right? Yeah. I was at EVR. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I probably, if you, if you interacted with no idea at that point in time, I probably, you know, got the shipment from equal vision probably at no idea or yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. See, like, but that time was starting to turn. It wasn't, yeah, there wasn't a, and so what was the on, response so. in Oh five? Were you like, no one fucking cared. And then you guys, all right, let's move on. Let's keep doing our other shit. Oh no, it was, I don't know. I, I think there might've been a review again. we never really gave a shit. <laughs> I mean, I, I probably, I read the reviews, I think, or, or cared if people cared. Uh, Jim just was like, I've got these songs. I want to record them. You know, I think he takes little to no interest in perception. Whereas I, I, I have much more need needing of intention, which is why I'm the one talking and not him uh, <laughs> clearly. But, um, but, uh, but it was one of those things where he's got, he said, I've got these three songs. I don't know if he jokingly said it's like a mini rock opera. It's about Roy Sullivan, who was struck by lightning seven times and and lived. Um, and we recorded those. And I think I guess VAR wanted to put it out or maybe volunteered to put it out 
or I don't know how, I think Jim kind of had that conversation with him and we just put it out and that was it. There was no intent of like playing a show or doing anything. It was just, we had these songs, we wanted to record them and put them out. There was obviously no financial endeavor. We never got money from the vinyl at all. You know, we just told VAR to take our cut if we had one off the cost of the record so that it'd be cheaper. Um, so for us that there wasn't, there was no financial incentive to record. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, there's 20 people that like us. That means we could sell 20, 20 records and make $20. It was Jim had these songs. And so we recorded them together. So, and then, but it was weird. Yeah. We were, but we were playing in another band called D Hoffnung at that time. We had started D Hoffnung, I think in 2000, probably 2003, 2004, actually no 2002. Um, we had gone on tour for a week in 2004 and recorded a record in 2005. So we recorded the, I hit myself stuff that last three song thing within a few months of recording the first D Hoffnung record, which is called love songs. And I think around that time, and maybe you can concur or agree, like I feel like there was a moment where these kids, or just I call everybody a kid. I even call, you know, people I talk to their best friends, like their kids. There was like a turn where any of these things before a certain year, like it was almost like wiped off the map or forgotten, especially on the internet when a lot of these things weren't around, if Wikipedia or Wikipedia wasn't around or those types of things. And then they had all these new bands and it almost was like they existed and nothing happened before it. And I think that Oh four Oh five era was that sort of time period where anything before it, it was like as if never existed and I'm going to move on and do this. Did you feel, I felt that bands would go on tour and be like, there was no one there. They're just here for this new stuff. And, and I think I called it babysitter core, you know, like they just, that was when they had kids. That's when people were starting to do that. Did you, do you agree with that? It's I think it was yeah, weird. Yeah, no, it, it, it felt weird. I mean, I was the, the the touring I had done, I did some touring from 2000 to 2003 with, with Gun Mall, which is the band I played drums in without my brother. And then we did that tour in 2004. And I had started, um, yeah, it just seemed like there was, it, there was a vacuum to a certain extent of, of the people, like the people that were doing it when, as long as we had been playing music, most of them had stopped. You know, the only people that we knew that were still doing stuff um, were bands like true North and that obviously hot water was still just busting their ass. And then, um, uh, against me, it just started. And so, but yeah, there was a lot of like, just f- for, I, I, I don't want to say myopia or, or, in, um, uh, amnesia of, of the past, but yeah, a lot of those great things that were happening in the mid to late nineties just sort of were disregarded. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of stuff, all the labels like gravity and, um, and dim Mac. And then, you know, uh, even to an extent like discord and touch and go, like the volume decreased pretty considerably as far as stuff they were putting out. So all the labels that I automatically went to, to find new stuff to listen to, um, just weren't doing as much stuff anymore. And then, you know, a lot of the labels like revelation and victory was just victory owned everything at that point in time and just put out. And I, again, I don't want to disparage people, but they put out just gallons of shit of just terrible, terrible music that got really popular. I mean, no fault of anyone's, I'm sure they're all nice people, but there's just some absolute crap that came out that everyone suddenly was wanted to be sing-songy. Everyone wanted to have a hook. Um, suddenly you, you gave a shit whether it was played on the radio and you gave a shit whether people could sing along to it where, whereas no one I ever had conversations with, you know, was really ever thinking about that. It wasn't until like 2002, 2003, when I started to see people in my, you know, my near circle, that, that, that cared about, or that, that knew of people that cared about hooks and, and uh, not that that, that vernacular was really introduced, but, but it was in the back of the mind. And I know people were thinking about it when they were writing music and that, that really bothered me. Jim and I have never, I mean, if Jim wanted to go out and write a Foo Fighter style record, he could probably kill it. I mean, the, the guy is just insanely talented. Thankfully, uh, 
he hasn't because I would go along with it and then regret it later. Um, but, uh, but you know, we never had, we never had this inclination to write anything that sounded remotely, um, accessible or commercial or anything, but it seems like in 2000, mid, like mid two thousands, a lot of bands suddenly said like, okay, I'm tired of actually working and playing something interesting. I'm going to play something that I think people will like, which is really, really distressing to me in all honesty. And they forgotten about all these bands that they love. They would reference interviews like, oh yeah, I love Fugazi. Okay. But you're, you're writing a fucking, you know, four chord, you're, you know, your matchbox 20 with more distortion right. and you scream a little bit, you know, again, I don't want to mention names, but there are some really terrible bands that got really popular really quickly. And I blame the youth. I blame the kids because they bought it. They were the ones on MySpace. <laughs> they, 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 they were the ones, if no one had paid attention, it would have gone away really quickly. But unfortunately people paid attention. And then the old curmudgeons like me would just sit back and be critical of them. So I mean, yeah. I used to, I used to count the swoop haircuts in alt press. I would count how many, Dude, it was, it was, it was we, bad. We, we, you know, we would get, I mean, we would get AP at no idea and, and we would get MRR, uh, maximum rock and roll and, and, you know, punk planet. I used to love reading punk planet cause it was genuine MRR maximum rock and roll is still genuine. Um, but yeah, AP would just used to be, you know, part of me would get excited. I think there was one time there was one mention of, I hate myself, maybe an alternative press. And I got kind of excited for a second. Then I was like, wait a second. No, every, I hate everything else in this magazine. Why would I be excited that I'm in this magazine? <laughs> What's wrong with me? Like, this is terrible. Yeah. I mean, again, like AFI, like that band, I'm sorry. Like just the idea of this, I have absolute utmost respect for, for individualism and, and presentation, you know, and, and uh, you know, androgyny and just doing yourself up and just being a true, the truest sense of who you are. Right. But when it's done for like a theatrical, I think the kids will like this type of reason, not to say that they were, but it just seems like people were trying really hard. You know, everyone's unique. Everyone's different. If you just play what feels right to you, inherently you're going to be unique, but there's a lot of people that are like, I'm going to be different like these other guys, which that's contradictory in nature, you know? So, yeah, it was weird being at the label because there are these bands that were popular. And then again, around that Oh four Oh five, it was almost like they weren't, rem it was amnesia. And then these younger bands that we had signed started to be mm -hmm. the big bands and I, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. I thought, cause remember it was like the older band takes the younger band and then they, yeah. it's like, oh yeah. And that, it just seemed to flip for some reason. Oh no. It, yeah. I mean, it was, it was insane. I, I remember that happening. You know, it was just, um, the, the joke was every band that hot water took out on tour within two years was far more popular than they were. I mean, alkaline trio, you know, and these, it was just, yes, it, it really flipped where all these young bands I used to, I mean, again, I, I probably am coming across like a horrible, horrible old person. But um, <laughs> if you if you didn't own a PV amp, a PV com if you're a guitar player and you didn't own a PV combo amp as your first amp, I probably have no interest in what you're doing musically. Um, what you about know, crate? that was what about crate? Those that's were fine shitty. too. Again, again, what I remember seeing, I think it was from first to last, which I think was Skrillex's band or something. Yes, um, Sunny. They were like teenagers, and they play at um, when I I'd started doing sound in 2005, I think at this, this small club in Gainesville called Common Grounds, I actually taught how to do sound by Jason from Christie Front Drive. He lived here for a while. Oh, no way. And I remember, yeah, he was awesome. A, a lovely, amazing person. Um, and I remember uh, them and seeing them have like, and I, I could be wrong in this, and I, I apologize for wrong, but they had like Mesa half stacks and stuff. I was like, no teenager should ever own a goddamn Mesa half stack because that's like a thousand fifteen hundred dollars at least for the head. At least. And so these are, you know, I not only did I did I envy their youth or, or um, you know, besmirch their youth. I was besmirching their wealth as well, because, you know, <laughs> no one that I came up with had any money to buy a Mesa half stack. You shouldn't 
own a goddamn Mesa half stack if it's your first band. You know, it just doesn't work right. Um, but a lot of these bands had money or, you know, were by, basically, you know, garnering clout through MySpace and stuff immediately. You know, there was no struggle. Uh, not that we ever really struggled. And, and again, touring, I would never refer to as a struggle. There's right. real people in the world that are struggling. Touring is just, it can be a pain in the ass. Yes. You know, but, um, but yeah, people that had these, this equipment and this ability to play, that used to piss me off more than anything was the ability to play your own instrument. Like, God damn it. You know, when I first saw Hot Water Music, I was like, that's not fair. <laughs> now it turns out they practiced and someone later told me that's how you get good at something, um, which I still have yet to learn. But yeah, being able to play your instrument well as a teenager and then also having good equipment and also having fans, like those three things were like, I would immediately write you off. Right. Um, so yeah. And there was a lot of that and it got really irksome and they got popular. They got insanely popular. And I don't uh, know why still. Hot Water Music or From First to Last? No, those bands, those oh. type of bands. Oh, the younger yeah, yeah. Kids, no, Hot Water Music busted their ass. Yeah. They had they had PV amps. I guarantee you, they had PV amps. My first um, amp was an George's. eight inch, my eight inch PV, uh, you know, to, or a solid state, the, the distortion that sounded like you you could do Anthrax from day one. Oh, they're fantastic! I had a PV Minx combo, like little tiny combo practice bass amp. Jim, I don't think Jim ever owned a PV, but he had a Princeton chorus, uh, like not a. Not the awesome tube Princeton's Fender right. Princeton, solid states, but the you know the solid state one. That's and then um, we bought that in like Tampa, this old awesome music store called Thoroughbred Music, and then um, and then eventually you got a just a twin chorus or something, which was again solid state, and that's what the first I Hate Myself was recorded on. Eventually you got a you know a cheap Carvin tube Ooh, head, Carvin. and that's what most of the yeah the X one hundred B. They're now coming back in favor for some those, reason. Remember those? Um, remember their their uh, their little booklets that they would send out to like everybody. Like, I think if oh, you, yeah. I think if you accidentally yeah, called musician's friend, the Carvin um, thing would come in the mail like a day later. Oh, it's all about, it's all about lead generation. Yeah. And marketing. I, yes. It's unfortunate. Yeah. No, I, we used to get the, the thing. It was like, I always wanted to buy a Carvin base. Why um, did you want a Carvin base? So, no, they look because stupid. Because the idea of a custom, they, well, yeah, they look terrible, but the idea of a customized base. Oh, now, right, that you again, could customize it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, okay, I could do whatever I want to it. Now, mind you, again, in my teenage years, I wanted like a Ken Smith or like a, you know, a, a, a dumb Les Claypool style base. Thankfully, I've grown out of that. Um, my first band in high school covered Too Many Puppies. See, I sat in my room. This is how popular I was. I sat in my room and taught myself tried to teach myself the entire frizzle fry and sailing the seas of cheese record again with a certain level, my own special level of mediocrity. So I had to sort of flub the parts a little bit. But yeah. I, my sophomore junior years of high school, that's, that's all I listened to too many puppies. We did pretty good. I actually have a recording of it. Um, Oh really? From high school. Well, yeah. Let's just talk about that for the rest of the day. <laughs> I think thankfully we, thankfully Jim and I never are. I, I, to this day, thankfully, I think the only Recorded and it's not actually on. We recorded a um, a cover that never came out. As I hate myself, um, it was just a country band's cover. And then um, the only covers that Jim and I ever played were "Band from the Pubs" by Peter and the Test Two Babies in our three chord pop punk band. And then um, that's how I escaped my certain fate by Mission of Burma. And we used to kind of a little bit play Jackson by Tar. And I think that's oh, and we used to cover Antihistamine by Spoke, um, this amazing band from Gainesville, who I've mentioned multiple times. Yeah, thankfully I don't have recorded us playing anything ex- that that I would be um, embarrassed about. You know, I've done some embarrassing enough things that I've, with original music. Thankfully, I haven't done embarrassing things with, with previous <laughs> actual covers of other people's music. Um, I mean, uh, t- talking out of two thousand five and like seven, like I mean, that's the reason I started the website in 07 was no one's talking about these bands and I can't find anything about them on the internet. 
There was nothing. Yeah, could, I, like I, people were like, "Oh, the internet's got everything now." Back, like, not long ago, you couldn't find anything. No, not at all. It was, I mean, and that's that's when the internet really came up. I guess started actually be really, really useful was like 2000 to 2005 and there was nothing about it at all. Um, I think, you know, I'm trying to think when punk news started, uh, you know, I had had an, an, I, I abhorred smoke for the most part, punk news. Um, cause again, it was a lot of those bands that I didn't give two shits about right. and they were, they were lauded. Um, but yeah, there was nothing. I mean, I was, you only, I still would find out like there's a band Matt from current who went on to be in Ottawa, I believe was in a band in like 2005, 2000, yeah, three or four or five called Calvary. And I heard about that from some friends, but yeah, music for people that were my age that had been making music when we were, you know, doing stuff actively, I, I didn't know about it that much. And I don't, I think a lot of them stopped, you know, engine down, mm-hmm. uh, sleepy time, you know, turned into engine down. Really, not really, but you know, yes. Jonathan went on to do engine down. They were fantastic. Like that was, that was one of those bands that they were, I would, I don't want to use the word accessible cause they're still really inventive and really clever. Um, they, they were the fantastic. Door. Yeah. And then a bunch of shit just flooded in. Um, unfortunately, but yeah, they, you know, that's one of the bands of people that were my age that were doing stuff that, that I really admired still. But yeah, there was just so much youth and vigor and wealth and un, unearned popularity going on in 2005 to 2010. That was just really ridiculous. I'm sure it's still going on today. I just stopped listening. I stopped yes. paying attention. And you know what? They were better at marketing. They were better at using whatever that new thing was that right you know the band that we liked might have had an email at aol and they had right. a website already or they had you know um better merch or yeah. the better deal like i think the the business sense um seemed to carry that's what i noticed oh yeah no i mean again so uh, you know again, i can't i can't fault i have very very dear friends that make a living playing music and they're phenomenal and they do it really really well but everyone was trying to do it, you know, and, and they were, they were earnestly not unique. You know, they're like, I don't care that we sound like this other, we're ripping off this other band. We want to go on tour forever and sell a bunch of t-shirts and stuff. And, you know, the bands that I know that make a living playing music didn't start because they wanted to be popular. Really. They started because they had these songs that they really, really liked. And eventually they busted their ass and became popular. But there was a lot of like the intent, the initial intent for organizing people together, to play music right. was to get popular. And I didn't, I didn't agree with, I don't, I still don't agree with that at all. I think it's ridiculous. It's gross. Uh, no, no, and that's the, that's the part of the, the scene that it w- was hard because yeah. I was working at a label trying to make these bands popular. They were sort of using this name, but this band could be sounding whatever that year was needed. And yeah, they would do that. Yeah. I got, I mean, again, I don't want to be despaired. There was just so much there. I, there, there was a lot of suddenly people branched out and, and, you know, and it became independent music let go of its sort of DIY sort of interesting, unique edge and became less popular versions of really popular groups. You know, like here's the singer songwriter that's on second nature or something like that. And it's like, well, like this shit sounds no different than the crap that's even to this day still really popular on the radio. Right. And why is it, why is it a, why is this considered like unique and, and independent and awesome? And when it's not, I mean, this person clearly wants to be a, um, you know, a singer songwriter in the vein of whatever dumb, you know, Enrique Iglesias or something, you know, that's, and it just, uh, no, no offense, Enrique. Um, the, but it's just, it, 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 
it got really irksome to me that it, it, I could see what people's intent was and it bothered me. Right. Um, and I may have mis- been misreading it. I may have just been jealous. I don't know. I doubt it was a jealousy thing. I think, but I think a lot of it was just people concerned about how they were presenting themselves um, and, and whether they would be conceived, you know, whether they would garner some level of popularity. And that was just really, really bothersome to me. Um, uh, maybe I just got more familiar and I just started paying more attention. I don't know, but there was just a lot of shit that came out. Those Did days. you know when the emo revival happened? Did you hear that? So it, it probably, n- I don't have context from a date perspective and from hearing it. I, there was no banner above the streets of Gainesville. Uh, but I mean, I'm glad they did go back and you know, Mineral's not a bad band. I liked a lot of the stuff that Mineral did. I think, I, I think that maybe it, it, that may speak to the emptiness and a lot of the stuff that was coming out like in, in 2005 to 2010 was like all the people that were in those bands or listening to those bands are like eventually kind of caught on and realized there's nothing here. And they started listening to the bands that those bands were influenced by. And so if you, if you start peeling the layers back, eventually you get back to something that was actually genuine and, you know, and interesting. Um, uh, and I, I had, so I got confused. I thought to write love on her arms was a band. I didn't realize that was a charity. Like that's oh, how like suicide. Yeah. That's how out of touch I was because once the band name got past like three words, I I was done with it. There was no way I was going to pay any attention to it whatsoever. And so a lot of those bands that like, I just assumed they were horrible because, you know, I I just, Hey, we are, you know, we are the, the, the chalk marker on the ground after the car crash of your high school love. Like that's way too long. You can't, that name's far too long. Thank, I hope to God that no band was named that if they're not. And there's no way to, and there's no way to scratch that on your binder at school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It takes up an entire, unless you turn it into landscape instead of portrait mode, then you could probably fit it across it. But then, yeah, it just looks weird. If you've got a trapper keeper that opens up all the way, you could probably fit it across the the width of the trapper keeper. Yeah. But, (laughs) but yeah, no, I I stopped paying attention in 2010. I think I I bought so few records, not that some amazing stuff hasn't come out. Uh, I think around that time is when I started to really start listening and going back and listening to the stuff that I had missed out on originally and really diving deep into like the birthday party and, and Nick Cave and the bad seeds. And, and, um, you know, I started to really mature and, and, uh, uh, so I stopped paying attention to what was popular cause I don't, you know, I haven't read a period, a music periodical, um, except to learn how to use a, a synthesizer and stuff recently. Cause you know, I feel that I'm of the age now that I need to start learning how to use synthesizers. Yes. Um, so I don't know. I don't know who bands are to a certain extent anymore. I still go to see shows if, uh, if friends of mine play. Um, but you know, there's there's bands like Band of Horses and things like that. There's I think some some really generally decent bands out there these days still. Um, Low is thankfully still around. If it weren't for Low, you know, I'd lose my mind. I think. But yeah, a lot of those a lot of those eighteen name bands I had no patience for and just didn't actively avoid. Just didn't even. They, I I will fall down a rabbit hole of anything except for shitty, shitty bands. You know, right. I'll watch, I'll read twelve Wikipedia pages about what happened in, you know, Lyon, France, from seventeen fifteen to seventeen twenty seven. Um, but I will not listen to some weird band with eighteen words well, in their name. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a playlist of some emo revival stuff, and some of them, please, some of them don't want to be associated with it. I mean, that's the curse of my site. Um, if I start liking it. Um, so the uh, that's the horribleness of the word, but I, I'll, I'll I'll make a playlist and then you can check some stuff out. Um, but I, I agree with you. I started going back. I mean, I had a roommate in college that got me into Britpop and a lot of the stuff I avoided. Yeah. And now I'm like texting him and being like, oh, dude, I'm so glad you 
you showed me, you know, the Charlton's UK. Like I'm super into that now or yeah. cast and, and and that's fun and I think everybody will go through that and I think that's I think that's just part of uh, you know, wherever you are in that in your in your psyche or wherever you are in, in your world at, at the moment, that's what's gonna connect. Yeah, no, I I, I mean I think it's just uh, I mean, the more we age, I, I still love the bands I loved when I was 17, 18 years old. And I think that speaks to the quality of the bands that I was thankfully introduced to when I was 17 right. or 18 years old. You know, I think there was just some, it was a really magical time. I mean, the Jesuses are put out goat and liar, you know, in the mid early to mid nineties. Like those are just two fantastic records. There was just a lot of really interesting things happening, you know, in the Midwest and California and the Northeast and in Gainesville in that period of time. And I cherish it still. And I'm so thankful that it's not, it, ha, it has aged so well. Um, I, I think, and I, I'm, you know, I'm glad that it led to some more interesting, uh, well, not less interesting, but more popular things. Good for them, whatever. But, but man, I'm, I'm really glad that, that the, the early to mid nineties happened because there is so much amazing stuff that came out there. I mean, I've got most of my records were probably made from 1993 to 1997, 98. And they're just all phenomenal. The records that I listen to still that I own, um, but you know, I, w- I wish I regret, I, I, you know, I wish I knew that of, of awesome, interesting young bands. I just don't, I'm not going to go read pitchfork and I'm not going to go read, go join a, a forum or whatever, um, to try and hear about it just cause I'm lazy. And, uh, you know, there's, I, I'd much rather watch videos of someone rebuilding a hand plane from 1917, um, than listen to some random weird stuff. Uh, but, well, you, well, two things. You have a website for that. It's called Washed Up Emo. You can follow it. You can follow <laughs> yeah, the people I talk about because I am a good filter. I rarely right. talk about band new bands because I think yes, I, there's out of fifty, there's going to be one good one, and I'll, I'll talk about it. But yeah. secondly, I also love watching YouTube videos of them making stuff. There's a there's a kind of a nerdy guy that does. Um, he's I think his thing's called I like to make stuff. Have you seen him? Yes, I follow him on. I have to admit, I, I the Instagram is the only social media I'm on. I abhor Facebook. But he has great YouTube for, videos. Yes, yeah, he does. Um, him, there's a, a company, an outfit out of, of England called Crimson Guitars, um, and he does goes through the process of making guitars. I, I like to do luthier type work, um, ah. and then I'll again watch. I'll watch. You know, Nick Offerman is, is really interesting, and he does a lot of he does some woodworking videos. Um, so I'll watch anybody do woodworking and then I'll also watch, I've been really, again, I was kind of joking, but part of me is, it's kind of true. I, I did, I'm really into the idea of electronic music now. I listen to old craft work and that's as far as it gets. But so I'll watch, you know, since I've watched hours and hours of, of different Moog synthesizer videos of people twiddling around with the LFOs and stuff like that. Did you know that um, uh, Moog and um, uh, what's the other one? They made their apps free because of the coronavirus. I did, and I downloaded them immediately. You did? So I, you have both of them? I, yeah. Okay, good. Just want to, yeah, I just want to make no, sure you did. Yeah, I, I did. It's really embarrassing because I'll call Jim because uh, he still lives in town. I mean, we see each other. We actually, you know, we have, we're still very, very close. Um, we haven't played music together in a couple of years, but that's probably because I've been lazy and his new idea of what he wants to do is, is kind of out there and it's not electronic, but it's weird. And I haven't gotten off my ass to facilitate that through equipment yet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I would, I would basically found these weird sounds and just call them and be like, dude, I just downloaded this. I don't really talk like a surfer, yeah. but I do sometimes. Uh, I just downloaded this, this synthesizer app. You should check it out. I made this patch. It's awesome. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't care. And you should probably find a better way to spend your time. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was, I, I've downloaded so many dumb, like groove box and synth apps to my, I'm going to put out a, you know, a new order slash Depeche mode, horrible, horrible record. One of these days. 
by put out, I mean I'm going to record half of one song and and tell myself that I've completed something when in fact I haven't. So. And then call VAR. Yeah, no, tell him to put out. Yeah, no, yeah. Let me inflict VAR with more more terrible music that I'm a part of. Um, <laughs> so, did you think that in 2020 you'd be talking to somebody about I hate hate myself? No, no. I I, I mean, there's there. Again, I'm not joking when I say I really like attention. I've always been a really introverted person. So anyone that ever wanted to talk about it, somewhat jokingly, I was always really, really excited about it. But honestly, personally, I was very, very excited about it because, you know, it fed what little ego I have. Um, and uh, not, but the funny thing is, I had very little to do with it. It was Jim was the talent. I was just again the 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 broken metronome. Um, so yeah, no, but I didn't think. I, I thought, you know, I didn't. I knew that there's people that, that give a, a couple shits about it. I will, in all honesty, every now and then pull up songs on YouTube just to listen to them because I still like a lot of them. I love hearing my brother's singing voice. And I'll read the comments because that's what you're supposed to do, right? Um, and uh, and seeing like, oh, well, this someone posted something a month ago. Like, why are people still listening to this? Um, but it makes me happy. I mean, I'm glad people appreciate it. Like, I'd be an asshole if I was like, well, fuck you for liking our music. Um, I think it's awesome, uh, but I didn't think I wouldn't have all expected people to still ever talk about it. And I, I can't imagine that there's more than five or six people talking about it. But those five or six people are, are highly appreciated because um, they will they will keep my my self-esteem going for another six or seven years at least. Yeah, I, I again, at the end of the day, no one's going to come after me. I don't care. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not I'm a very nice person, but there are some shitty bands out there. No, know, that so. it's it's an opinion. I don't think there's ro- yeah. I always piss people off when I talk about I love Jets of Brazil more than Jawbreaker. And I'll, really? I'll I, yeah, and I'll tell Blake to his face. I I yeah. was like, "I'm sorry. I I I love Jets. I a Chinatown is like the, the the greatest fucking song you've written so i don't know i think it's good but you, you really even more than like unfun era like yes. the first like bivouac really that's surprising to me i went to an emo night once at a club here and it was it was i i had no idea what the music was first of all and then i was like god this is this is weird this is very very weird but it, because it wasn't it wasn't like actually our era emo. the first time this is jawbreaker the first night Someone comes up and says, can you play Jawbreaker? And I was like, my buddy Brian, who I do it with, was like getting a beer or something. And I'm straight edge, so I'm doing most of the DJing. And I was like, uh, dude, wrong night. <laughs> and he was like, oh, man, it's emo. I was like, I'd never heard up until I'd never heard Jawbreaker's email until February 2011. I had no idea. Yeah, no, I mean, people, it, it, it was again, I remember when people said emo, I originally thought of Grey. You know, I thought of Rights of Spring, right? Right. And I, I think, I think Screamo may have been related to Grade. Um, Yes. Later on. Yes, later on. But just so you know, real quick, just because no one else knows the story. So Steve left and we don't talk to him at all anymore because he will not answer our calls because he's weird as shit. Really? So Steve, Steve is a phenomenal bass player. He never, he, when we literally, when I said when he joined the band, we stopped talking. He spoke almost never. Wow. Ever. We would play shows. He would get up and play his parts. Jim would face me. He never faced the audience. Steve would try and hide behind the PA. Um, and then we'd get in the van and we'd go somewhere else. And every now and then you'd hear him chuckle and stuff like that. But when he moved away, like he, he came to that show in Gainesville that Jim and I played in 2003 or whatever, um, with Ryan playing bass. Cause I called him and that's when he's still answering my calls. He said he wasn't interested. He came, didn't tell us he was there, flew home and then told me later he was at the show. What? Um, he, he came to my wedding. I got it. You know, I got married in 2012. I invited him to the wedding. That's the last time we've spoken. Last time I saw him, oh, wow. I think, um, came to my wedding and then left before the reception and didn't tell anybody. He just ghosted. 
Um, he is a weird, weird dude, but insanely talented. But just he's like he does not. He's just very strange. Wow. But he wrote letter. He wrote letter to a husband at war. Like that's he wrote that song and he wrote Roof, which was off the seven inch um, with drama in the emergency room rooftop or what Darren's Roof, I think it was called. Like he was a really talented dude. Um, the one thing Jim told me when I was told him I was going to do this was he's like, make sure you give Steve all the credit. So that's, but yeah, I love that. You know, he was, yes, yeah, he was, he was a really special person. Um, he just, he wanted to be left alone. He, you know, he's kind of a recluse lives as far as I know, still lives in Texas, works in the computer industry, super smart guy. Um, but yeah, just really weird, really weird dude. You're going to come across some weirdos, including me. No, and we'd, we'd asked him like numerous, if Jim had, if Steve had said, Hey, you guys want to play a show, Jim would do it in a heartbeat. Wow. Um, but you know, and we'd probably write songs if Steve wanted to do, but Steve has no interest in that whatsoever. So yeah. I didn't want you to, I felt really awkward. I was like, shit, I hope he's not, doesn't think I'm reaching out. Cause I really want to do the interview really badly. I honestly just was was concerned for you. I felt like an asshole. <laughs> no. I was like, I just want him to know, like, I know we're not friends. I was like, but I hope he's okay. I wanted to check in on you. I appreciate um, that. I appreciate that a yeah. lot. Um, this uh, is again, a labor of love and I do it as much as I can. And, um, again, there's no money made. It's just like these stories need to be told and your band story needs yeah. to be told. I'm glad you did. You did Dave with 12 hour turn. Cause that's one of those bands that was just those first couple records and all the records are phenomenal. Dave and Rich, those two brothers were fantastic. And, and Matt and John like that, that's the fact that you interviewed them. And listen, I, uh, Tony and I know each other. Well, the fact that you talked, it's so funny hearing Tony on radio. Cause I know Tony very, very well. Tony oh, from, from the fest? fest or whatever. Yeah. 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 I, I work the fest every year with him and stuff, but, um, but yeah, no, you're doing a good thing and it's awesome. You know, Thank you. I, 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 I would love, um, you know, just, just keep doing it. Cause I like to, I'm, I'm curious uh, the other day I was like, whatever, I know Keeley's playing in huge bands now, but whatever happened to Jonathan from engine down and yeah. you got to tell me Coheed stories. One of these days, there's oh, one of those dude, bands that, so that, many, that can, so they many confused stories. the shit out of me. I remember when we heard them, when Equal, that first record came out at equal vision, we were played it at no idea because we would always, whatever promos we got, we would right. put on and me and Ryan would sit there and listen to them. And that was one of those ones where like, what the fuck is this? Like, this makes no goddamn sense at all. Part of it's really awesome, but part of it's confuses. When Dan played me, the GM played me Second Stage Turbine Blade, and he played me the first song, and yeah. I was like, what in the fuck is this? And <laughs> yeah. everybody's going to love this. Everyone's going to yes. lose their minds. Oh, yeah. No, it's like it's like when Jupiter came out, the Caven record. I was like, yes. this is going to be fucking huge. Like, this record is, is makes no sense. This is not what Caven used to sound like, and this is going to be enormous. Like, it's just brilliant and weird and, and interesting. Um, like, those are the bands that, like, actually did something somewhat slightly commercial, but it was so interesting that it actually made sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love Coheed. Yeah. I, I, those guys, like, when in, in Keeping Secrets came out, I remember when they played me Welcome Home. We were leaving Warp Tour, and Dan played me the song, and it's that eight-minute, like, yeah. opus with the, whoa. Oh, that sounds brilliant. And I... I was yeah. just in the car and I was like, you have to play that again. Like, I was like, yes. and those are those, you're right. I'm like, holy shit. They're like, they're down. They're like, yeah. took a little weird, but then put it on the radio. Like, fuck yeah. Yeah. No, it's awesome. I mean, it's just, and that video, that video is so stupid, but so amazing at the same time. Like, it's, it's, it got me into like more like adventure type metal type stuff. Like that last in flames record and rewatch to remain like those, like that's, I listen to neurosis and in flames almost exclusively at work these days. Cause it's my zone out while I'm doing database queries music. I even got my, my seven year old daughter into that. She loves the Ramones and now in flames.
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1, so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.